Somewhere out there, there's a man on a park bench eating his 500th PB&J. He has no idea Papa John's has new papadillas that are way better than a boring sandwich. With Papa John's best meats, cheeses, and veggies hand-folded into a crispy flatbread crust. Someone better tell that man. Get a new papadilla in one of four flavors for just six bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, better than a sandwich. Papa John's. Not valid with discounts, fees, and taxes. Extra prices may vary. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to, from Inc.com to MSNBC's Your Business, uh, Fit Small Business, Proven, um, and recently uh, People First. Uh, The podcast is gaining recognition as a resource for business owners, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, and salespeople. This is because of the guests who join me for a conversation. They bring their expertise and they give of their time and knowledge so all of you can do better things in your businesses. Today we have such a person. My guest today is John Lee. Serial entrepreneur by trade, John knows a thing or two about running businesses. John started in investment banking at Merrill Lynch, moved to run a large operations team at Yahoo and founded Bizarre Advertising Solutions and DNA Games, acquired by Epic Media Group and Zynga, respectfully. Uh, respectively, sorry. He then started ProsperWorks to give companies tools they'll actually use to help them grow. John holds a uh, BS in Industrial Engineering and Operations Research from UC Berkeley. Thank you for joining me today, John. Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. I am thrilled to have you here. Sales is one of my favorite topics. Um, so, but I am curious. Have you always been 100% focused on sales? Yeah. So our uh, our vision is really to be the uh, engine of prosperity for the world. Uh, we believe that if we can help customers and businesses be more successful, they will go on to build successful businesses themselves, and some of those will go on to change the world. 
And so our mission is actually a little bit broader than sales. It's actually help make business relationships easy. And so obviously uh, sales um, business relationships are really important, which is why we focus on that category. But we also focus on helping to solve other business relationship uh, management challenges. So partner management, uh, business development, uh, marketing relationships, and so forth. And so we see our opportunity as much broader than that, which is anytime you need to work with an external business relationship, helping you uh, optimize that engagement and ultimately helping you achieve your goals. Okay, so the the subject of this podcast is that sales is the single most important factor to success in your view, and I'm curious as to why you see it that way. Yeah. So, I mean, first, for the obvious reason, from an economic standpoint, um, you know, to grow the value of your business, you need to generate revenue. And so uh, you generate revenue by selling your product or your service. And so to be great at sales is very important from that one aspect. But I think, you know, in addition to just purely growing revenue, sales is important because it helps you understand who your customer is. What are their challenges? And many times a no in sales is just as valuable as a yes, because you start to understand why customers are choosing not to buy your product or um, what other problems and opportunities that you can solve for your customer. And so sales becomes really the uh, main point from which you get feedback uh, for your target market in order to develop your product or your service uh, in greater detail. Um, and three, it ultimately helps you understand um, you know, what it is required on, from an ongoing basis of after you close the deal, um, what you need to provide to your customers so they continue being a customer. So a lot of the listeners here are probably software as a service uh, entrepreneurs or provide a service or product that is recurring. And so being able to then understand, you know, have I been able to deliver on the original value proposition? Have I been able to solve the problems that I claim to have solved? Um, that also provides great feedback to your product team, provides great feedback to your marketing team in terms of who should we target in the future, who's going to be a great customer for us. And ultimately, for the service team and success team, you know, how do we make sure that the product is successful to the customer? So I think on that basis, sales is really important. Again, for number one, just growing your business from a revenue standpoint. Two, getting feedback uh, on, how to, on how to deliver the right product. And then three, um, how to retain that customer by continuing to deliver value to that customer over time. Yeah, those are great. I I really like that. And and part of what I like about it is that that it helps people understand that they they really need to be paying attention to what's going on around them. Like I think a lot of small business owners, they start a business because they've got a skill set or because they have an idea that they think is just great and wonderful. And they forget to listen to the marketplace or listen to their customers. And so they may have a recurring process with them, but they don't necessarily engage them to, to make sure they're continuing to understand what's going on with them and potentially where other opportunities exist. Yeah, that's 100% correct. And when I started this business, you know, I did a lot of time um, talking to potential customers and understanding what their pain points were with existing CRM solutions and where that can improve. I think if I were to actually go back and do it again, 
Um, I would have done that, but in addition, actually tried to sell the product or service in advance of actually delivering the software. And so, you know, what I've learned is that if you can't get someone to commit with a contract or, you know, ultimately handing them your credit card or a check, um, then your product probably isn't valuable enough. And so if I were to sort of look back at, you know, and advise, you know, this group of listeners, you know, what I would have done different is I would have done both the sort of uh, research with the customer. I would have, you know, done also, you know, my intuition when what I thought would differentiate and make a successful business, but I'd actually get out and try to go close some deals. And um, because when you are getting feedback, you know, everyone will say, oh, that's a great idea, but until they're willing to commit dollars to your idea, um, you know, it's, it's not validated until that occurs. Right, right. And you don't really have something that's saleable until people say they're ready to buy it. That's correct. Yeah, that's interesting. So along those lines, because I, I really do think there's an awful, you know, entrepreneurship is these things these days. All the colleges are figuring out how to teach or trying to figure out how to teach it. And everyone, you know, it, it, there there's a definitely a group of people who know for certain that it's not right for them. And there's also a group of people who this is their dream forever. But you've been an entrepreneur for a while and you've been in a couple of different like industries. How do you think people, or is there a way that they can identify whether entrepreneurship's even right for them? Yeah. So I think what it comes down to is really understanding what do you want from life? Um, and for some people it's control for others. It's solving a really hard problem for others, achieving a vision for, uh, the world and how their business product or service fits into that. And for others, it's just simply making a lot of money, right? Yeah. And so I think if any of those particular reasons for what you want out of your life are true, I think entrepreneurship is a great avenue for you because entrepreneurship is the ultimate definition of manifesting one's own destiny. Because at the end of the day, you are in control of what you decide to do, you are ultimately responsible for that outcome for both yourself, for your employees, and then your investors. And it's an incredibly exciting career. Um, there are lots of ups and downs. And so if you're considering it, just recognize that A, it's going to be a lot of work. B, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster, right? But yeah. C, it's the only job and it's the only career and it's the only uh, ambition where you get to decide what to do and the ultimate measure of success will ultimately be on have you picked the right market have you assembled the right team were you able to acquire capital if that's if that's you know your model from which that you're looking to do are you able to acquire your first customers are you able to then scale and grow your business right um, these are all the things that I think great entrepreneurs learn and figure out how to do. And you can either do that by learning from somebody else, but in my view, the best way to do it is just to do it yourself and recognize that you're going to make mistakes, but the faster that you do it, meaning the more effort and hard work you put in, you're going to make mistakes faster. Um, you're just going to learn a lot faster being an entrepreneur than let's say working for somebody else. Yeah, and I, I think it's really a good point that you 
have to know that it's a lot of work. There's going to be ups and downs. Some of them are going to be emotional. Some things are going to work and other things aren't. And you have to be willing to be flexible and navigate and, and listen. I mean, I, you know, I keep coming back to, you have to be able to listen to um, advice and ideas and still go down, you know, have a good enough gut instinct to know where you think you should be going. And you know what, if it ends up not being the right direction, that's okay. You get up and you go and do something else. So you sort of have to have that personality of, I guess, perseverance. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. You've got to have enough ego to really go after it and believe that you can get it done. And that certain craziness that, Hey, above all else, I'll figure it out and I'll beat out these massive other companies that are competing against me, but you've also got to keep your ego in check, right? And okay. recognize that, um, hey, I don't have all the answers. Right. And if I surround myself with people that actually know more than I do, right, whether it's through hiring employees or it's bringing on specific investors that have experience in the sector, or, or what I found really, really valuable is bringing on advisors and mentors, right, who have been there and done that yeah. and have them sort of, review and check how I'm thinking about things from time to time. That's the best way to sort of optimize to success uh, right away. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That, that is definitely, it's interesting that the ego thing is, it's like on a teeter totter, right? It's sort of, you, you got to really be strong enough and you got to be honest and humble enough to know you don't need to have all the answers. You have to be willing to, surround yourself with, with people who do. Now, when it comes to what kind of business to go into or, you know, what that, quote, business calling is, do you think there's a way for someone to, like, is there a process to go through to figure out what that is? I mean, I, you know, I, I look at your bio and it feels like there's, a, there's some sort of consistency, but then there's also variety. So... What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it just varies by kind of age in one part. So I'll be totally honest with the audience. I mean, when I started my first company, all I wanted to do, I, I'd read the uh, Cash Flow Quadrant and Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Okay. And, you know, one of the main lessons from that book was um, you can retire when your passive income exceeds your expenses. And so I had just come out of investment banking, working 100 hours a week. I had just come out of a corporate job, working 80 hours a week. And, you know, I wanted to make money and I wanted to be able to retire. And so my objective at the time was very much, um, you know, make a lot of money. And so my first business was really about, you know, arbitraging advertisements on Google, Yahoo, and MSN at the time. If you remember that, this is back in 2004. And so my motivation was purely to do that. And, um, you know, we did that very well. We built a $47 million business uh, in two years. Uh, we ultimately sold that company for a lot more than that. Um, you know, my second business was about, okay, now that I've sort of made some money, I want to have some fun. So I, I created a gaming company. And that gaming company was all about delivering delight to the world through games. And so we basically provided A-B split testing technology to find the fun in games, to prioritize for engagement, virality, and monetization. We built some fun games that made it into the top 10 
Facebook games, and we ultimately sold that company to Zynga. And as I got older, I kind of questioned, you know, what is the meaning of my life? Like, how do I become significant? And how do I impart upon humanity um, a, a better, um, an improvement upon humankind? And so my focus for my third company was really around um, exactly that, which is how do I make the world a better place? And I know software, I know entrepreneurship, I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. So why not build a company that actually helps entre other entrepreneurs be successful? And that's sort of how my motivation to build companies has sort of evolved over time. It started off with a very capitalistic sort of view on things and almost selfish view to a, hey, let's go, let's go have some fun and go build great games to now how do we actually empower tomorrow's entrepreneurs, today's companies, to actually realize their dreams and in the process, like make mankind and humanity, you know, uh, make substantial improvements there. Um, so it's evolved over time for me, to be completely honest. I think that's great. And, and I love the, the evolution because I, I think that's so valuable for people that, you know, we're in different stages of our lives at different points. And so different things are important to us. And that's okay, but it's it's allowing that what's important to drive. Then how do you get that thing that you want and understand it? It can absolutely change over time, and so right. then other things are of interest to you, and that's very entrepreneurial. That yep. mindset, yeah. Yep. And then the way I would sort of approach the framework is okay. Given whatever you decide that's important to you that you want out of your life, life, right? whether it's money, whether it's fun, whether it's um, changing the world, as you specifically evaluate, you know, business ideas, like there are really two types of businesses, right? There's one, which is you have a better way to do something that people are already doing and already buying. And then two, it's like you're inventing a new way um, to, you're, you're inventing a solution that people didn't realize they actually needed, but it was like, is very valuable. And so I've never been in the latter camp. I've always been in the former camp, which is to ask the question, okay, to take a really large market, right? That's worth yeah. billions of dollars. And the reasons why you choose a large market is because if you just win 1% of that market, you can still build a really large company. Yeah. And then ask the question, okay, what's wrong with it today? Are there specific technologies that are available or changes in the way that people do things or expectations that people have today that um, can be applied to an existing problem um, and the way someone does things and actually be reinvented. And so that's always been, you know, my MO. So with my first company, you know, I felt that, you know, we solved the problem of getting highly qualified leads to our customers. And we figured out a way to do it much more efficiently and much more profitably for our customers. Um, and we applied basically mathematics and we took, um, you know, hedge fund like quantitative trading techniques to be able to deliver that value, which was very new at the time uh, using cost per click media. Um, when it came to the gaming business, you know, the opportunity was, you know, billions of people play games every day but how do we empower developers, including ourselves, to create the funnest game? Well, because games are now delivered through the cloud and online, 
we're able to actually change that game experience in real time using A-B testing and actually test and quote unquote find the fun. So we took a technology that was really instrumental in advertising optimization. We actually applied that to video game making. And in our business today, you know, for us, it was, look, people are moving to Google Suite as their primary office productivity suite. How do we integrate a CRM that's there where they talk to their customer? How do we make it so easy to use that it's no longer the clunky old software that your dad used to use, right? And three, how do we take the fact that the world and businesses are moving to the cloud to actually give people better data by automatically ingesting all that information so that their CRM becomes populated automatically? And so for me, it's always been about finding a really large market where there's validated businesses that are doing things, but they're doing things wrong or they're not taking advantage of some of the technologies and approaches and changes of customer behavior um, and then actually improving them so that it makes the offering more compelling and ultimately you can create a very large business in a very large market. Wow, that's wild. And thank you for, for letting us in on your thought process. I think that's really valuable. And, and I think most people are in the first camp and are not, like I think Steve Jobs was in the second camp, but I don't think most people are. I think most people are in the first one. So what's out there that doesn't work as well as it could and what can you do about that? Um, and I think the probability, I think if you look at it from an outcomes perspective, it's like capital asset pricing model, right? Like you take more risk, you get more reward. So yeah. in the latter camp where you're focusing on creating that new solution, you can create incredibly valuable businesses, right? Like Facebook's an example of that, mm -hmm. right? Where they created the notion of social media. And as a result, they're a massively large business and they were, they were not the first to market. Um, but they ultimately created a better service, which captured the inspiration of billions of users, um, and it is very valuable. Um, and so, but that's a much riskier proposition, right? If you think about yeah. from a risk standpoint, is my business gonna be successful? Because you don't know if that is something that is going to resonate with the market yet. You know, the, the less risky approach, right? But arguably, you know, lower outcome, right? Just going back to the, to the, sure. the capital asset pricing model is taking an existing business where you know there's people already buying things, but that you can make that experience, you know, so much more valuable or compelling to a customer. And you know that customer is already there. So it just really depends on a couple of things, right? What's your ambition again? And what, what are you really passionate about? Yeah. And also, you know, where does your head sit in terms of like risk reward? Um, so that's just my choice that I took, but there's completely um, other great examples. Twitter is another example, right? Like who, whoever knew like microblogging would, would get to this, get to this. Right, level. right. And, and those companies have created massive businesses. So there's no wrong or right answer, right? But I think yeah. when you think about it from a, from a return standpoint to yourself as an, as an entrepreneur, it's certainly much bigger opportunity you know, inventing something new, um, but it also comes with it a lot more risk because you're not sure if there's actually any market appetite for that. Exactly. Yeah. 
I have to take a quick sponsor break, and then I have some more questions for you. Great. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're talking with John Lee about the single most important factor in success. And um, John, um, you, we talked before about um, having mentors and advisors and and learning and things like that um, for entrepreneurs. I'm wondering if there's a particular business book uh, that you would recommend to small business owners who are looking to grow in their business. You know, I would say one of the most important, I would say the number one important attribute to being successful as an entrepreneur is ambition. Um, you just got to want it really bad because you're going to get, you know, kicked to the ground. You're going to make mistakes. Again, speaking to that emotional roller coaster, it's going to happen. But if you have that ambition to solve that big problem, to realize some big vision, to, you know, generate massive returns for you, yourself and your family and your friends, right? Like you will figure it out. I, I would say the second attribute that's really important is really salesmanship. At the end of the day, like as a technology entrepreneur, you're basically arbitraging two things. You're arbitraging capital, right? You're selling an investor a vision and you're taking that capital and then you're investing in a great team. And then you're then convincing customers to come use your product, right? Customers or users, depending on whatever product or service that you provide. And so I think salesmanship is actually really important because you've got to convince that investor, you've got to convince that employee, you've got to convince that customer. And so one of my favorite business books, I don't actually recall the name, and I, and I can provide this, um, but it has to do with actually reading body language. Um, Oh. And it's written by a uh, former FBI profiler um, who would um, look for physical cues in terms of what people were really saying and what they were really meaning um, when you talk to them. Hmm. And I found that actually really helpful as a matter of really understanding, did my me message resonate with this person? Do they have some concerns with it? Um, and that really helped my salesmanship. Because at the end of the day, the most powerful skill in the world is being able to convince somebody what to do. You don't actually need to be an engineer to start a technology company. You don't actually need experience selling software to corporations. Um, you don't actually need experience um, raising capital. Um, but you can actually hire for people um, to be able to do this for you and be able to convince them to do that. And so I think the ability to read others' emotions, read their physical sort of body language, 
can then ultimately shape your story and shape the way that you speak with this person, um, not just from a um, oral standpoint, but also using body language to convey your message more in a more compelling way um, is incredibly effective at being able to uh, ultimately convince somebody what to do. Interesting. So, so I want to pull on the, you know, if you decide to hire a salesperson, um, do you think if, you know, if there's people listening, they're small business owners and they struggle with the whole concept of selling and that they are better off learning how to, you know, really embracing the idea and, and really learning how to do it or hiring someone who uh, has that skill set and is good at it? I think the answer is both. Okay. Um, you're going to have to be great at selling as an entrepreneur. That is a required skill. I think the question is, how do you get that acquired skill faster? And the way that you do it is, number one, uh, bring people around you that have done it before that you can learn from. Number two, just do it. And you'll learn by doing. And if you have that, that number one attribute that I mentioned before, ambition, yeah. um, you will just go at it time and time again. And even to this day, like when I'm capital raising, I assume that I'm going to blow up the first three meetings. Um, and I fully expect that with a customer, when we enter a new market, I am going to not figure out the right pitch for the first 10 to 20 meetings. But what happens is I have this confidence, just knowing that I've done it in the past, that if I do it enough times, if I fail enough times, that I'm going to start getting better at it. So. To answer your question more directly, you know, should you hire for it or do you have to do it for yourself? You have to do it for yourself, but you can get there faster if you hire someone there so that you can learn from that person. And again, bring out, you can hire advisors. Um, you can even have customers as advisors as well, right? And they can help you shape your pitch as well. So there's a whole, whole slew of things, but you cannot get around the fact as an entrepreneur not to be the number one salesperson in your company. That's great. I I completely agree with that, and I think yeah, uh, I'm so glad that you said it because, and I really like this idea of if it's something that you struggle with, go ahead and hire someone and then learn from them because they can go out and sell while you're learning how to do it. But you absolutely, bottom line, have to be able to. Sell. You have to be able to share the value of your product or service. You have to be able to have those conversations. And I, I really like that you make this assumption that you're going to blow these things up at the beginning because you're learning about what the audience wants, what they're interested in, what are the things that you can and should be, what conversations should you be having with them. I think that's fabulous. Yeah, and I think that's one attribute that every entrepreneur needs to have, entrepreneur needs to have which is this belief that they'll figure it out. And yeah. that belief, and the reality is that I think just to attenuate those expectations that you won't figure it out the first time. And nobody figures it out the first time. And maybe right. there are people that are just extremely gifted, but um, that's not me. Um, and 
you know, that's probably not 99% of the entrepreneurs that are out there. But if you have that right North star, which is like, I have to be great at sales because I have to be great at raising capital, I have to be great at building a team, I have to be great at recruiting customers, but that that's a journey, right? As much as entrepreneurship is not an outcome, it's a journey. Right. Then, um, you know, you'll look back and say, wow, I've, I've circumvented all these challenges, including maybe I'm more introverted. Maybe I really fear failure. Maybe I uh, really care about, uh, I'm too concerned about what other people think of me, right? These are all like real humanistic emotions that all entrepreneurs and all human beings go through. But if you have that ambition and fully recognize that, like, I have the capacity to learn and it's okay for me to fail and you just keep going at it, like, you will be more successful over time. I'm I'm so with you. And I think being able to accept that you're going to fail is probably a really big part of that. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about funding because you, you've mentioned, you know, when, when you're going for um, – Funding, and I once again, there's people out there listening who some of them will never seek funding. It's just the you know, way their business is. They don't necessarily need it. And then there's others who um, it's essential to, to what they're going to be doing. But I guess my question is more around the being able to maintain your autonomy when you're taking investment dollars. I think it's something people question a lot. So you know, what are your thoughts on that? How, how do you balance that? Yeah, I mean, I think that your investors are there. They're aligned with what you want, right? If if you win, they win. Um, so I think that's the first thing to recognize. Um, I think that, um, you know, in order for you to, if you, if you do take investment, right, that's in order to realize your vision. So you have the resources to go get it. Um, there are really sort of a couple considerations here, right? So what is your objective with raising money? And if you're an early entrepreneur, if you want to realize your vision, you probably believe that you're the best person to go do that. So you have to retain control. And so that's where the board comes in and the board makeup comes in. And the only job of the board really is two things, nurturing and feeding of the CEO, so that the company can be more successful. And two is hiring and firing of the CEO. And so when you add board members, your board, based on its constituency, will basically vote on and act on those two things. And so um, the way that you maintain control is that you basically make sure that, um, especially in the early days, it's very easy to do that, that your board can't fire you. Right. And so the way you accomplish that is by making sure that um, you negotiate your term sheet such that, let's say, in your Series A, um, there's three common seats who that you control. Right. As the founder, you probably own the most shares in the company. Um, Maybe your co-founders sit on the board as well. And so you have three board members and you have one Series A investor. And in that situation, you know, the worst case scenario, if you guys are not aligned and the Series A investor wants to go do something else, but you really believe that you should go, um, you know, do what you really want to do, um, they're really kind of stuck there and they kind of need to be along for the ride, right? Um, but at the same time, it's incredibly valuable to have investors on your board because it's just pattern matching, 
You know, if you get an experienced investor, they've seen a lot of different deals. They've seen a lot of evolution of different companies. They've seen a lot of the common mistakes that entrepreneurs make and the, and the common opportunities that entrepreneurs can seize. And again, because they're aligned with you, uh, they'll be able to coach you and provide that insight. But as the entrepreneur that's in charge, as the CEO, you are ultimately responsible for determining the destiny of your business. And if you set up your board structure in such a way, uh, you will have that control. And so at the Series B, right, you've got three common, one preferred, then you add another preferred, you have two preferred and three common. Um, so you still have control of the board. At the Series C, um, you know, maybe you have a split board, right? But a split board three and three, you can't actually fire the CEO. Or something that you can do is you can actually negotiate additional common seats, right? So that you basically continue to maintain control of your board. So a lot of people fret over investments uh, as like, oh, I'm not going to be able to control my destiny and, you know, I'm going to have to report to somebody else. Like, But if you structure your board properly in terms of how many votes you control versus how many votes the investors control, in the worst case scenario, they really can't do anything. Um, so there's a way to get your cake and to eat it too, yeah. which is basically my point. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Okay, so if there was one thing that you wanted the listeners to embrace, like if they weren't going to hear anything else we talked about, there was one thing you wanted to leave them with, what would it be? I would say you can you can accomplish anything you put your mind to. Don't let the status quo, don't let naysayers tell you you can't do it. Don't let you know you know your friends or investors who challenge your business idea. Don't let them get get you down because there's always a way to figure out if you want it bad enough, you will find a way to make it happen. And um, that is the one thing that I've learned in this process of being an entrepreneur is that the rest of the world is tuned to like different things. You know, we grow up going through school, listening to rules, following instructions, um, doing things a certain way, being risk averse, um, taking the more careful path. But as an entrepreneur, that's the exact opposite. You're breaking the rules. You're challenging the status quo. And as a result, the world rewards entrepreneurs um, because of the, they take risks, they challenge things, and they believe that they can do things a different way that's better. So that is the one thing I'd like to leave um, this audience with is that if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything that you want to do. That's so great. Thank you for that. And I think that was just perfect. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience and, and your thoughts on all of this. I mean, I, I, one of the things that I think is so valuable for this audience is to be able to hear um, serial entrepreneurs share the, their journey, their experience and the things that they've learned, because a lot of the people listening to this, that's what 
even if they don't want to be a serial entrepreneur, even if they just, you know, it's the one thing they've got going, but they really want it to be successful. So I think everybody listening can take at least one thing out of what you've shared today and take it and use it in their business. So thank you so much for that. Oh, you're very welcome. Can you share with our listeners um, how they can get a hold of you, uh, you know, a little bit about ProsperWorks and anything you've got going on that you think they should know about? Yeah, I mean, I, my, my business is focused on helping entrepreneurs be successful, and so I embody that um, both with through my company as well as helping others. So feel free to contact me at uh, jon at prosperworks.com. And I'd be happy to uh, field any questions. Um, I'm a pretty busy guy, so I'll try to get to them as as, as, as quickly as I can. Um, so feel free to contact me through email. Um, you know, ProsperWorks is uh, the number one CRM for G Suite. Um, we help uh, solve the number one problem with CRM today, which is that 47% fail, simply because people don't like to use it. And so what we've done is we've made it really easy to use. It looks and feels like Google. We've put it right where you communicate with your customers. Um, and then we automate data entry so that ultimately you have visibility, you have organization, you have a um, workflow that you can enforce uh, for your sales team, your relationship management processes, and ultimately build better relationships, be it with your customers, your partners, your investors, or whomever. Um, we've, we've raised $87 million in venture capital to date. We're growing, um, you know, at a breakneck speed. We're the fastest growing CRM company in the world um, and one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in the world. And our vision is to be the engine of prosperity by helping make business relationships easy. So if you are running a company that involves um, relationship management, I encourage you to check out ProsperWorks. We're here for you. I've built the company for you. It would see me, it would, it would make me feel fulfilled and through the moon if I can be a part of your success. So please check out prosperworks.com and uh, I'd be happy to help you. That's awesome. Thank you. That's so great. Uh, and I always like to thank the listeners and the sponsor. Um, get your free trial and a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.